from the Hutterberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 43. What is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone, rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the psalmist found great delight in meditating upon the law of the Lord his God. In Psalm 119, verse 97, he said, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Why was this so? Because it was by contemplating God's law that the psalmist learned much about the character of God. It was through the law that he learned true wisdom. The law taught him how to live wisely with God and his neighbor. This afternoon we deal with the ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In some ways, this commandment is closely related to the third commandment. There we were instructed not to misuse the name of the Lord our God, that the Lord would not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. When addressing God or speaking of him, we need to keep in mind that he is holy. His name is precious to him. As people, we were created in the image of God. We too have a name, a reputation. Proverbs 22 verse 1 speaks about the value of a good reputation. It says, a good name is more desirable than great riches, to be esteemed as better than silver or gold. When speaking to others about someone, we need to keep in mind their honor and reputation. We are not to give false testimony about others, nor to gossip about them, or to slander their good name. Sin against the ninth commandment is so easy to commit. All it takes is a heart that is jealous of another, or angry or bitter towards him or her. And then it doesn't take much to speak negatively about them. Trash-talking, belittling, downgrading someone you don't like. We can have great difficulty controlling the words that come out of our mouths. And the result is that often someone's name gets dragged through the mud and that relationships are soured. God's law is meant to help us live in close communion with him and in harmony with our neighbor. Thus God restrains us in how we are allowed to speak about our neighbor. The goal of the ninth commandment is that we defend and promote the name and the reputation of our neighbor so that we may live in peace, that there may be good harmony in our relationships together. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. 
The Lord commands us to defend and promote our neighbor's honor and reputation. We'll consider how our words can be life-destroying and how our words can be life-renewing. The Ninth Commandment states, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. When we consider this commandment, it quickly becomes clear that it has a judicial focus. It has to do with appearing before the law court and giving testimony about your neighbor. A witness is someone who may have heard or seen his neighbor do something, and now he's called to tell what has happened, to give evidence about whether someone has done something against the law. The Lord requires his people to speak truthfully in such situations, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's a reason for this. On the basis of evidence given by witnesses, a man could be convicted of wrongdoing. He could be found guilty of stealing and be required to make restitution. He could be found guilty of murder and be stoned to death. When a person is charged with wrongdoing, their guilt or innocence is determined by what the witnesses say. That's why witnesses may not give false testimony against their neighbor. To us, this seems pretty straightforward. You're not allowed to lie, to give false evidence under oath. Why might someone even consider doing that? Well, if a family member or close friend was charged with doing wrong, we might be tempted to lie to get them off. Or if someone who had done wrong to us was charged, we might be tempted to lie to get them convicted. Personal friendship or animosity could cause our witness to be tainted. Yet, often there's a more basic cause for false testimony. The Bible warns against it repeatedly. It's called bribery. Deuteronomy 16 verse 19 says, You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Proverbs 17 explains, The wicked accepts a bride in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Throughout the ages, the powerful have used bribes to oppress the poor and the needy, to deny justice to the innocent. Our reading from 1 Kings 21 shows us an example of how false witnesses are used. King Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard. It was located next to his second residence in Jezreel. Ahab wanted this vineyard so he could make it into a vegetable garden. He offered Naboth a better vineyard in exchange or else to pay him in cash. Naboth refused. He said, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. In Israel, each family had been given an inheritance. It was their land in perpetuity. It was given to each family when Israel entered Canaan, the promised land. They were not normally allowed to sell it. Naboth treasures the Lord's land gift, passed down by his ancestors more than making money or appeasing the king. He refused the king's offer because his thinking was covenantal rather than pragmatic. He rightly refused the king's offer to buy his land. 
The result was that King Ahab had a temper tantrum. He went home sullen and angry. He lay down on his bed sulking. He refused to eat. His wife Jezebel asked him why he was so upset. After hearing the story, she asked him, Is this how you govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. We need to remember that Ahab had married Jezebel to cement an alliance with the Sidonians. Jezebel promoted the worship of Baal in Israel. She had a different perspective on kingship from her husband. Ahab rightly thought that as king, he too was subject to the law. But Jezebel didn't. To her, what the king wanted was law. She'd never seen her dad, King of Sidon, put up with resistance from a mere subject. If folks resist your will, you simply run over them. So Jezebel went into action. She wrote letters in Ahab's name and put a seal on them. She gave explicit commands for the elders and nobles of Jezreel to proclaim a day of fasting, to have Naboth sit at the head of the people, and to have two scoundrels come in and accuse him of cursing God and the king, and then taking him out and stoning him to death. Jezebel's plan worked perfectly. The local leadership carried out her commands. They got two scoundrels to give false testimony against Naboth. It may be injustice, but it was legal injustice. Jezebel insisted on two witnesses, just as the law prescribes. 2 Kings 9 verse 26 makes it clear that also Naboth's sons were killed. This was to free up the inheritance from family interference. And so Ahab got Naboth's vineyard to serve as his vegetable plot. Why were these men willing to give false testimony against Naboth? Text explains they were worthless men or scoundrels. Perhaps they were threatened. Most likely they were paid off. The bigger question is, why were the elders and the nobles of Jezreel willing to be part of Jezebel's wicked scheme? Likely because they were afraid of her. They had families, livelihoods, and a desire to live. Who knows what might happen to them if they failed to toe the line. Yet note the result. Great injustice was done in the land. The law was set aside so the powerful could get their own way. Naboth was wrongfully accused and stoned to death. 1 Kings 21, the verses 13 to 16 mentions the fact that he was dead five times in just a few verses. A righteous man in Israel was executed. His family wiped out just so the king could get his veggie patch. All facilitated by the people of Jezreel who were willing to give false testimony against an innocent man. Proverbs 6 tells us there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, 
and one who sows discord among brothers. The reason the Lord hates a false witness who pours out lies is simple. Such a person acts against the name and reputation of his neighbor. His words can be and often are life-destroying. So how about us, beloved? We're not often called upon to testify in court. Does this mean that the ninth commandment doesn't apply to us? Not at all. Our catechism makes this very clear. It explains what is required to us in this commandment. Not only is false testimony forbidden, we're required not to twist another's words, not to gossip or slander, nor to condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Let's consider what we're forbidden to do. We are not to misquote another person or to twist their words. Often in the course of an argument, that's exactly what happens. So easy to take a few words out of context and distort what someone's trying to say. We often do our best to take away the power or effect of another person's argument or to show them to be ridiculous. By minimizing what the other person said, we make ourselves and our case look better. And so we easily sin in our communication together. We need to learn to listen carefully to what others are saying and to present our arguments in a fair way. It's how we maintain our neighbor's integrity. Our catechism also warns against gossip and slander. Gossip is casual or unrestrained talk about others, typically involving details not confirmed as being true. Often when we gossip, we speak in a derogatory fashion about another person. Slander is making a false statement about another, damaging that person's reputation. How much damage isn't done by flapping lips? Oh, the hurt and the pain caused by careless tongues. So easily we do real damage to our neighbors by talking about them in a negative way. We also need to avoid judgmental attitudes. It is sinful to condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly or unheard. What our catechism means by this is that we need to be very careful in making judgments about others without hearing their side of the story. Proverbs 18 verse 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. One person can tell you a story about another that results in you making a negative judgment about who he is or what he did. Yet if you went to that person and confronted him, you might very well find out that you agreed with him, or at least that you understood what he did. It is best not to make judgments about others. Remember Jesus' words, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Beloved, it's because of gossip and judgmental attitudes that we're often afraid to share our lives with brothers and sisters in the church. We paste a smile on our faces on Sunday and pretend all is right with us. 
We're afraid to open up about our problems and struggles. Many live closed lives because they feel that if they shared what was really going on in their lives, people would talk about them behind their back. Many bear their burden in silence because they're afraid to be judged for living a less than perfect or respectable life. In our day and age, we face some additional challenges with respect to observing the Ninth Commandment. We live in a technological age. Most of us have cell phones. It is so easy to capture an embarrassing moment on camera and video and pass it on, humiliating or bringing shame upon another person. Texting can be an extremely impersonal way of communicating with another person. It can quickly become nasty or degrading. People text things that they would never dare to say personally, face to face. We live in a time when cyberbullying regularly occurs. One person or a group of friends will gang up on a classmate or a workmate or a friend. They'll say nasty things. They'll repeat untruths. They'll do whatever they can to break the person they have targeted, often because of jealousy or anger or bitterness towards them, or sometimes just to have fun. But the results can be devastating to the person who gets picked on. Their name gets dragged through the mud. They are degraded, humiliated, They end up feeling lousy about themselves. Their confidence is undermined. Their worth destroyed. Often they hardly dare to show their face anymore. They withdraw while inwardly deep anger and resentment grow in their hearts. Yes, beloved, with our mouths, we so often degrade the good name of our neighbor. Our words can so easily be life-destroying Take warning. Be careful in what you say. Guard what comes out of your mouths, what you communicate about others. Remember, God wants us to defend and to promote the name and reputation of those around us. Brings us to our second point. You know, consider how our words are to be life-renewing. Jesus Christ came to save us from sin and from all its devastating effects. To do that, he had to live in obedience to all the commandments of God. Even when the Jewish leaders twisted his words, plotted against him, slandered his name, and sought false witnesses against him. Throughout his life, and especially near the end, the Lord Jesus suffered greatly from those who disregarded the ninth commandment to try to get rid of him. And yet our Lord was willing to walk that pathway of suffering. He remained faithful to this commandment. When many false witnesses appeared against him, the high priest said to Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Yet Jesus remained silent. He didn't lie to save his own skin. In fact, Jesus testified against himself. Jesus confirmed to the high priest that he was the Christ, the Son of God, 
knowing that this would be used against him to charge him with blasphemy. On this basis, the Jewish council pronounced Jesus as being worthy of death. They manipulated Pilate, the Roman governor, into crucifying Israel's Lord and King. Jesus voluntarily went along with this, knowing he had to die for our sins, to bear the burden of God's wrath by suffering forsakenness on the cross. Here, beloved, we see our motivation for living our lives according to the commandments of God, or to do so out of thankfulness for God's grace in Christ. Earlier, we spoke of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and how they hired false witnesses to rise up against Naboth so they could kill him and steal his vineyard. In their eyes, might was right. They felt that the king did not need to be subject to the law. He was above the law. He could do what he wanted. Yet that is a totally distorted perspective on kingship. Especially when you consider that in Israel, the king was to rule in place of God. Deuteronomy 17, the verses 18 to 20 says that when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. David was a king after God's own heart. He desired to rule in that kind of manner. In Psalm 101, he sings a song of the Lord's justice and love. He says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. To do that, David separates himself from evil men. He surrounds himself with those who are faithful and who live blamelessly. David says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. There's some important lessons we can learn from this. We should not put up with those who gossip or slander. The best way to stop gossip is to not listen to it. If someone starts telling a story about another, ask if what they have to say is edifying. If someone passes on something that's wrong in the life of another, ask them if they've spoken to that person about it. Please, beloved, don't be a silent bystander. That only makes you a partaker in the sin of others. We're often good at condemning others for what they said or did. Too easily we make judgments about one another. Yeah, beloved, instead of looking for the negative traits in your neighbor, why can't we search out his or her positive traits? It's so easy to characterize someone by his or her loud mouth, or temper, or greed, or laziness. 
But why not search out that person's good points? The fact that he or she has a listening ear or a big heart for others, their diligence or faithfulness or generosity. Remember Jesus' words. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. If in our own minds we can develop a positive image of those around us, it'll really help us guard our mouths against saying hurtful things. We all know that cruel and hurtful words break down, but the opposite is also true. Encouraging words build up. They're life-renewing. Beloved, when's the last time you praised your son or daughter, your husband or wife? If you were to keep track of your negative critiques and your encouraging words, which do you speak more of? Why is it that we have such a hard time building up those around us? Don't you know that your neighbor has been created in the image of God? Don't you realize that your brother and sister have been redeemed by Christ and are being renewed by his spirit? In James 3, James points out the great contradiction between how we relate to God and to our neighbor. He says, with a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We are God's image bearers. Just as being taught in the third commandment that God's name is precious to him, so in the ninth commandment, God teaches us to defend and promote our neighbor's name and reputation by guarding our mouths and keeping a watch over the door of our lips. We can avoid speaking life-destroying words. By speaking encouraging words, we're enabled to live in harmony and peace with our neighbor. This is glorifying to God. It shows we're thankful for his grace in Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together. Psalm 119, stanzas 25 and 26.